0: Ditos. it's that time of week again where we crack open the latest and greatest the comic book world has to offer, or perhaps you're diving back into some of the tales of yesteryear. That's right, it's Comic Book Day, or as we like to call it, Dollar Bin Band Bandit Day. I am Joe Marcello. I'm Warren Phillips. And our fine-feathered friend, Mike Farah, cannot be with us today. However, we will soldier on. And as usual, we're bringing you another great interview with another great comic book writer, Mike Friedrich. Uh, Mike's career started back in the 60s, and he has co-created and reintroduced characters that have become absolutely huge over recent years. Talking about characters such as Merlin from Green Arrow, the Phantom Stranger, the Spectre, who Orin and I both love, Drax the Destroyer, and a little character you may know called
1: Thanos. Yeah, he's also sort of the... the Godfather of independent comics with the Star Reach that he did in the 70s, which sort of set the tone for the independent boom of the 80s. So I put Mike in one of the categories of names you should know as far as comic book history. This guy's done a ton and uh, a wonderful, wonderful guy.
0: So without further ado, this is our interview with Mike Friedrich. Mike Friedrich, how's it going, Mike? Very well. Um, I'm going to ask you the same question we ask everyone to start off um, How did you discover comics?
2: Ooh. Um, My earliest memory was summertime when I'm about 10 years old and a a kid down the street had this giant pile of comics and like eight of us sat out in his front yard and read them all afternoon. They were almost all DCs. Uh, Marvel didn't exist at that point uh, to any significant degree. So it was all Uh, I guess the only heroic ones I remember were Superman and Challengers of the Unknown. Um, There was a whole slew of stuff. I mean, there were House of Secrets, House of Mystery, And I was young enough to wonder whether when a story was told in the first person, whether it was actually true or not.
0: Now, do you still have any of the first comics that you started collecting?
2: Oh, no no um the comics that i i collected in my teens um i sold in my 20s to fund my publishing company
0: i think that's pretty good reason to sell them
2: (laughs) and i don't regret it
0: that's uh, absolutely yeah we i always love asking that question because everyone has a unique story and you know some people they part ways with those comics and later are able to buy them back somehow or something. Uh, others, you know, someone accidentally threw them out, but um, I think that's probably the best reason for uh, selling the comics.
2: Well, they, they live in my memory. So it, it's, I don't, I don't miss them in that sense. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in,
0: in doing our research for you, Um, we learned that, you know, after, after high school, you basically started working for DC.
2: Well, actually it was before I graduated. I sold my first story a month before I graduated. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, and then, uh, took that money and surprised my parents by telling them I was going to take the check and fly to New York to write comics. So, which I did.
0: So what was that like for you? You know, first of all, you've just graduated. You're going to New York of all places, which, you know, is not New York of now. It's New York back in the day and a new job all the same time working for D.C. nonetheless. Was that nerve wracking for you or?
2: Well, it was it was a fanboy's dream. I mean, that's all I can say. It was just wonderful. Um, I mean, I can't believe my parents let me go. (laughs) <laughs> I mean at, at my age now I go what, what what were you doing letting this kid just you know fly on an airplane by himself to some place where he didn't know anybody um, but it worked out uh, and I started writing regularly uh, that summer Um uh, and had assignments to keep me busy while I was in college during the school year. Uh, and by my junior year of college, I was writing as much as I could handle. And um, uh, when I graduated, it was I was to full time work. In fact, I was I was it was so good that I actually delayed when, once I graduated from college i delayed working for three months in order to take a take a break from everything and drive around the country so i actually didn't really start working full-time until september when i returned to new york
0: it's like every college kid's dream
2: Yeah. well (laughs) i met met a bunch of people that i still know um they, they call themselves tysos the illegitimate sons of superman and uh uh, contained people like Mark Hennerfeld and Len Ween, who were used to model a Cain and Abel in the House of, House of Secrets, no, House of Mystery, which are one of those books. And uh, uh, Marv Wolfman was part of that group. Uh, and a bunch, we've all reformed on Zoom in the last, since COVID hit. Um, and we now get together once a month and reminisce. And awesome. So I've got people that go back 50 years now from, from Finn.
0: That's a that's a pretty great group.
1: <laughs> now, one fellow that you worked with who you had a, a very good relationship with was uh, Julie Schwartz. Uh, how did that relationship grow and what was it like working for him?
2: Well, that's a hard one to answer. I mean, it, it, it's... Uh, I don't know just you're going to get at these pauses. I'm, 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 uh, I'm afraid that's a tough one. Um, there were... Huge generational and cultural differences between us. And later on, I mean, much, much later, I figured out that he was a fanboy just like me, but I didn't recognize it when I was 20 years old. Um, And uh, that helped. I mean, I think that's why he was so supportive, even though I was an arrogant young teenager who thought he knew everything. And uh, he... I learned by example, I mean, in the sense that he would show, he would give me the scripts back that he had edited so that I could see what bothered him and what needed to be fixed and what needed to be made better. Um, he taught me how to think in terms of structure of a story uh, that I hadn't really thought about before. Where we, where we disagreed was that I was very heavily influenced by the Marvel comics and thought the character development was as important as the storyline. And he placed much less emphasis on that.
1: Why do you Uh, think that was?
2: Well, he was coming out of the pulp magazines of the thirties. I mean, that's what he read when he was a kid. And um, the whole, and they were very plot driven. They were all puzzle stories in essence you know, how do you solve this? There's there's some conflict that needs resolution and it's usually, you know, a puzzle of some sort. And uh, and figuring out how to, figuring out how to solve the puzzle of beating the bad guy. Um, Where I got to be more interested in understanding, well, why is the bad guy acting the way he's acting? and Why are the good guys acting the way they're acting? And how does that, there was a lot of fun in, are intersecting
1: the two. Now, one thing you did there was you took the character of the Phantom Stranger and sort of gave it a new life. What was some of the untapped potential you saw in that character that you thought needed to to get out?
2: Well, I'm afraid I must confess that that was an assignment that was handed to me. Um, The editor, Joe Orlando, uh, brought me in and said, we want you to try to do this. And... All the elements that were there that were the ones that he gave me. Um, and I actually had a hard time getting into it, um, and which is why I only did a couple of issues and then they found somebody who understood it better than I did.
1: What were some of the things that you were having trouble, you know getting around with the, with the character?
2: I'm afraid now it's that's that's one of those questions that's 50 years too late. I don't remember.
0: <laughs> so i want to uh jump to a period of time you wor- worked on uh the jla oh yes what was that like for you working on a a team uh book where you have to balance you know different characters
2: oh well, that was fun to me okay I, I really and i think that's one of the reasons why julie stuck with me on that uh was that he was having a hard time finding people that wanted to deal with all these different characters, where to me it was fun figuring out how they could work together in a story, um, both practically in terms of the storyline, but emotionally as well. Um, and I I had a great deal of fun playing around with all of them. Um, and it, I think it's a basically it's a lifelong lesson that we get more accomplished when we work together than we try to do on our, by ourselves. And that was really the subtext of what the Justice League was about.
0: Yeah, there have always been, as you could see, I'm a D.C. guy. So uh, I have, I've always loved uh, J.L.A. and all the various incarnations and. And permutations there have been. Um, it's it's always been great, and to see, you know, and you know, to your point, the the synergy of the different personalities, how they work together, how some would clash, and other things like that. So it's uh, certainly oh, have an appreciation.
2: That was a lot. It was a lot of fun to do all that.
0: Oh, I'd I'd love reading it. That's why it was great. Uh, and one of the characters that you uh, created was Merlin. Yes. Which it, you know, certainly over the past few years, you know, certainly with TV, but, uh, you know, him being reintroduced and, in, in uh, you know, green arrow, uh, series in comics. That is he's a, he's a great character. What was your inspiration to create that character?
2: Well, that's another hard one to retrieve. Um, I only wrote one story, which was the, the first story of the character. Um, I knew I needed to, I, 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 as best I can reconstruct it, I needed a counterpart to Green Arrow. Um, and I knew that it was important enough to have the character look cool. And so that's why I maneuvered to have Neil Adams be the one who drew the character for the first time. So that that he only he drew like four pages in that issue. Uh and, of course, Julie was happy to get Deal to do anything he would agree to do. And I was always appreciative of Deal agreeing to do it. He had the uh, uh, as as it clearly was impressive enough that other people later on picked up on it and developed it into the character that became valuable enough to be on television.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to ask, you know, th- how does that feel to see this character that you created to go on to such, you know, I, I would say such heights? Because people outside of the comic book world, um, how does that feel for you to, well, to see that?
2: I, I'm not a big fan of the work that I did now. I think there was a lot more uh, energy and enthusiasm than there was craft. Um, and so I appreciate the young guy that wrote those stories. But since I, I didn't really develop the character, I just introduced it. I, I don't have a lot of ownership, feeling of ownership of it. Uh, you know, I fell into Thanos and Drax, Drax over at Marvel, um, which have gone on to bigger media usage than Merlin has. Uh, and I feel the same way. I mean, it was like, well, I was there. I was glad to be along for the ride.
0: I've always, I, well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, your, your view on that because I, I always find that interesting to, to, to hear about because, you know, there are a fair amount of of artists and creators nowadays. Their work is now, you know, growing and blowing up because of. You know, every comic book property is in development in some sure. way, shape, or form. So it's, you know, some people are always in favor of that and they love to see it. Others, not so much. So <laughs> always curious to see, you know, what
2: people's well, thoughts I, I are. I think as a comics creator, this is the best time ever for that, for one to create comics. Uh, I was working in an era when the comics were owned by company two companies. And you did them because you were fans of them. And as soon as you stopped, as soon as you wanted to do something new and original, the company would tell you, no, go away. Yeah. So, um, which is why I got into publishing, was to you know provide an outlet for people to do their own stuff.
0: Do you, uh, and I was going to ask this later on, but since it's kind of part of the topic, do you keep up with some of the current
2: comics going on? Well afraid not. I, I, uh, uh, Paul Levitz would kept me on his comp list at DC. Um, and I, I would, I, so once a month I'd get a big stack of DC comics. Uh, and I would, I would pull out about four or five of them and read them and follow them. But then when he left the company, whoever succeeded him quickly took, took this old guy off the list. So, uh, I can't afford comics. They're too expensive for me to buy. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so, so, uh, I'll pick up a couple of graphic novels a year and, uh, you know, enjoy those, but it, it takes a lot of media, uh, buzz about them before I'll pick something up. Are,
0: are you happy with the, uh, with the, the level of product that is being produced? um in terms of you know and, and this is a little off topic but since it's kind of part of the conversation I'd love to hear your thoughts on it just as it relates to you know uh, all the media that is out there for comics nowadays I mean I think it's uh, an absolutely fabulous time to be a comic book reader and fan because yeah. all the stuff that we've known and read about and loved over the years is now on the screen oh. are you happy with how a lot of that's being portrayed oh, or do yeah. you think
2: oh yeah I mean the adventures is better than the comic book. Okay.
0: <laughs> you
2: know, I mean it took a long time for them to find an audience uh, and and develop the technology but now the audience has come together and the technology is available and and so the money people have figured out that it's worth spending the money to use the yeah. technology. And you know, we're in a superhero moment. I mean, th- this this period of time is is going to be in the history of film. Um, it'll end. I mean, I don't know when, but uh, uh, I'm, and I'm enjoying it while it lasts. It's been, it's, it's great. Uh, the breadth in the, the comics field in general has blown out in all directions. You can do memoir comics, you can do history comics, you can do, you know, adventure comics. You can do anything you want now. Uh, and there's going to be, if you've got the right marketing, you know, you can find an audience. And uh, the the number of the, the entry of the uh, book publishing field into the into comics has been great. It's elevated everything. Um, and uh, again, I I you know I, what I what I was a, what I became a fan of as a creator was of the medium as much as the content and the medium has just become very popular and very well known. And it's, you can tell stories in comics that you can't tell anywhere else. Yeah. And the superheroes are the least of them.
1: Now a couple of books that you worked on that, um, we're not as mainstream, but I'm just sort of fascinated with them. Is you did some work for Skywald, uh, and wrote a few stories for them. How did you get that gig, and what was the Skywald experience oh, like? Because I, was it a was really
2: funny. Um, I, I think I wrote two stories for them, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so I got a call out of the blue from uh, Scott Saul Brodsky, um, who had who had left Marvel. He was the production manager at Marvel. He'd left Marvel to, to with a partner, start a rival company. And he told the people at Marvel, I'm not going to raid your artists. Who's out there that's available? So so Roy Thomas gave him my name because I was a DC guy. <laughs> but then I come in and I, I get introduced. and I can't remember his name, but a guy who was the son of the investor, who thought he was an editor (laughs) and he had the worst ideas you'd ever thought of. (laughs) Uh, and, and he told me, now I was hungry. I mean, it was a summer where I was, I was having a hard time finding assignments. Um, so I, I needed the work. Uh, and he, he gave me the, the, he gave me the assignment, told me the story I wrote it, something to do with smog monsters. I mean, I, I, I just remember that I I hated every word that I wrote. And uh, uh, in fact, I think I only wrote one story because I think at that point I, I was so embarrassed I didn't even go in and pick up my check <laughs> <laughs> that I told him to mail it to me. <laughs> And thank goodness, like a month later was when DC gave me the assignment to start writing Justice League regular work. So my financial needs were met uh, and it was a fun assignment. And and I put Skywald in the rearview mirror.
1: (laughs) But you eventually did jump to Marvel Um, when you got there uh, culturally. uh, What were the differences between DC
2: and Marvel? Uh, It was, it was night and day. I mean, DC was buttoned up in suits and ties and Marvel was t-shirts and jeans. Um, and, uh, and as far as writing was concerned, they, there was much less supervision. It was, it was sink or swim. Uh, they gave you, they gave you a sum, they, they hired somebody else and see you later. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't the kind of, D.C. was willing to commit itself to people, you know, like Julie Schwartz committed himself to me to develop me. Um, Marvel Marvel wasn't able to do that. Uh, They didn't develop people. They exploited people. Uh, But I made twice as much money in the same amount of time writing for Marvel um, because I was much more able to connect to the artist by the way they worked. And, and you've probably heard this a million times by now, but DC at that time had the writers writing screenplays in advance. You know, you wrote each each panel description, you wrote the dialogue and, and you, you were in charge of the pacing as the writer. And then the artist was just expected to follow whatever it is you wrote. The Writer was more important than the artist. Marvel was flipped over. The artist was more important than the writer, but that meant that the writing could would be more visually. The writing was more attuned to the artwork in the in the Marvel way of working, where you provided an outline to the artist. The artist the, the artist then created the pacing, um, visual pacing, so that the art was much more dynamic and much more interesting. And then the, the writing came back, writer came back and wrote the, the dialogue, which accommodated, filled in, covered where the art was weak and you know and, and reinforced when the art was strong. And so you, you came out with much stronger stories that way.
1: Um, I would say how big of a learning curve was it for you switching?
2: Oh well, I took it I took to it right away. Okay. I it, w- within a month, I was really happy. I, I I, creatively, I enjoyed my working experience at Marvel more than I enjoyed it at DC.
1: And one fellow you started working with was Jim Starlin. How did that relationship begin and what made it work?
2: Well, I've, I get asked that question a lot and my I can reconstruct bits and pieces, but not the whole story. Um, for a brief period of time in the summer of 1972, we were housemates in Staten Island. I'm vaguely remembering it was about three months, um, and uh, and then I left to go to Cali- return to California to work long distance. Uh, but during that time, Jim was it was had come from Detroit, uh, where he was from. He got he'd been in the Navy, he'd been in Vietnam. He'd come, he'd gotten out of the Navy had come to New York to be a comic artist. And he was, and, and this is where one of the, where the memory is not clear. He had these character concepts. What he said in his interviews is he presented them to Roy Thomas and Roy said, well, somehow or other, knowing that we were housemates said, well, why don't you work with Mike on this? Cause he's writing Iron Man. He's doing Iron Man. So do it that way. I have a vague memory that he showed them to me and that I suggested that he talked to Roy, but I'm not super clear on that. Uh, so I don't claim that but I, it's possible. Um, but once we got started, once we wrote, once we did a story together, it worked out pretty well. And um when he took over, when he went from Iron Man over to Captain Marvel, um, I went with him for two or three months. He w- he got his sea legs working on uh, uh, Captain Marvel, and after about three months, he figured out, well, I could write this too. And, and so he started taking over the writing himself, and, and it has never looked back. I don't think he's worked with a writer since.
1: Now, compare. how would you compare your writing for, let's say, you know, you're writing Batman of JLA, and there's a very storied history for these characters that I would think you have sort of had to keep within certain lanes. When you get to Iron Man, are there any parameters put on you as far as where the story can go, or is it have at it?
2: Um, it was like that. There were there were more character restrictions at DC, but that's balanced by the fact that I loved those characters, so that the at least this. The superhero characters that I wrote at DC were all ones that I were fans of, um, so I didn't mind the restrictions. I enjoyed working within those parameters. Uh, at Marvel, there there were guardrails. You know, you had to have a one or two fights every issue. You couldn't just have people standing around talking. Um, and uh, but in oh, terms of where true. the character went, um, what what. Uh, uh what kinds of storylines you had to have i got no guidance on that they either worked or they didn't
0: um i wanted to ask uh you know during your career you had some long runs on characters like batman iron man captain marvel just to name a few um which by today's standards it's you know it's few and far between it seems but what kept you on those titles
2: well, I was making a living. I mean, oh, so, that's always good. <laughs> I mean, so I, uh, I guess I just kind of answered that just now. That, that that my enjoyment of the characters at DC is what kept me on them. Um, what kept me at Marvel was that it was steady work that paid my bills, uh, that I enjoyed doing. I mean, I, I want to be clear about that. I was less no. a fan of the Marvel. Characters than I was at the DC characters, but I but I was more enjoying the working experience at Marvel than I than I enjoyed the working experience at DC.
1: Now, when you get to Star Reach, that's all you. This is you writing as you wanted to write, and also you know you sort of set the bar with independent comic books a bit. Uh, how did that? all come together. and Why was it so important for you to be able to write the stories that you wanted to write?
2: Well, I only wound up writing a couple of things for myself. After all, I wound up being focusing more on, on uh, learning how to be an editor and a publisher. Um, and I found myself really enjoying that work more than I enjoyed the writing. Um, so I was happy to help find, create an environment in which artists and writers can work together to do the work that they weren't allowed to do at Marvel or DC. And so people like Jim Starlin or Howard Chakin or Len Wein and um, other folks were able to do things that, that there was, there was no other outlet for now, as it turns out, none of that stuff stuck, but, uh, you know, there aren't any movies of Cody Starbuck, but, uh, <laughs> Uh the, the process was really enjoyable, and I was able to figure out how to be in business long enough that it lasted five or six years.
1: If it wasn't for that, do you think we would have had the independent boom in the 80s that we had with sort of first comics and Eclipse and even Dark Horse?
2: Well, if you're asking me to pat myself on yes. the back. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to do that, Yes. <laughs> do, it. do it well deserved because you should now, now, yeah, what, I, what I laid out was, the, was what I demonstrated was that it was possible to run a successful business doing a broader width of content um, and other people built on that and improved on it over time I mean Dark Horse being a great example um I mean, Mike Richardson is a real genius. Um, but you know I mean that they're they're the ones that 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 built it. I just happen to be first.
0: Uh, the question I always really like asking people is, is there one character that you really wanted to get a whack at? you know, just really sink your teeth into and for whatever reason, never had a chance to or maybe there was a story you wanted to write and again for whatever reason didn't happen
2: well i would have loved to have been a regular writer on batman and i never got that opportunity i wrote a lot of batman stories but they were they were inserts into the regular continuity i was never assigned an ongoing series anywhere and i would have really enjoyed doing that
0: and we're back. Uh Mike was a great guest and an absolute pleasure to interview. Uh he's been a part of the creation of so many characters that have gone on to become huge as of late, like I mentioned earlier. Um you know, just like so many comic book characters uh as of late or comic book creators as of late, um he just doesn't seem to get the re- the recognition that I think he deserves. Um if there's one thing listeners should get out of our interviews, is recognizing the work that these creators have created over the years and uh you know give them the recognition that they rightfully deserve
1: yeah when you think about all the talent that mike has worked with through the years and the books he's been a part of and you know being part of early comic book conventions uh so much we have to thank mike for for where we are now with comics so uh as joe said you know he's a guy that we should really tip our hats to and and say thank you to him for all that he's done.
0: And this is the point where Mike jumps in and tells everyone to rate, review, and subscribe. So I will do the same. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your frenemies uh, about Dollar Bin Bandits. We'd like to uh, hear what you guys think about our shows. So leave comments, tell us what you think. Don't hold back. We're big boys, we can handle it. And uh, make sure that you stay tuned for our next episode. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.